And we're live. Thank you guys for coming. I have been taking a look at some Jehovah's Witness news. I've been particularly interested in Jehovah's Witnesses lately because I recently went to their headquarters with Genetically Modified Skeptic and we got in and toured the place basically. Then we went around and talked to some cart witnesses in New York City and it was an extremely stressful situation. So this is my assessment of it after the fact. I wanted to wait to talk about it until after I got, you know, after the video's released because I didn't want to like spoil anything, but now I feel I can talk about pretty much everything. I know a lot of people had questions about, for example, how they found my name and things like that. This is what happened. So I call them ahead of time and I was asking questions like, can I book a tour? Can I you know, get in with my friends and we just want to kind of look at the place. And I was kind of acting as though I had some Jehovah's Witness family members and and I was loosely associated with them, but never really went anywhere with it. And I just wanted to talk about it and see what it was all about. They said that they'd call me back. So they call me back like the next day and they're talking to me and they're saying, they're asking questions and they're like, they're all asking the same questions. Like I talked to a different person every time and they said, you need to talk to the Office of Public Information or something like that. So I end up calling them and just getting passed around to like three, four, five different people. And they're like having me tell them the same story over and over again. Like I'm loosely affiliated. I, I kind of had some family members that were in it, but I never went anywhere with it. And I'm just interested in learning. And I was like, well, maybe they never heard the story. Maybe the last person I talked to didn't tell them what I said before until they started like leading me toward things that I'd already said. So I knew that they were all keeping up with everything that I'd told them and checking for consistencies and everything. Well, anyways, they end up calling me back a few days before the trip. And I said, and they, they told me, no, we will not give you a guided tour. We won't assign somebody to follow you around with your camera for the Office of Public Information to talk about it. And it's like, okay, can I get in on like the public tour? And they said, you can sign up for it if you would like. And I was like, all righty, maybe I'll do that. So I gave them the name Owen Morgan when I originally called them. So we get to the gate and I was like, you know, they're not going to let me in this is what we'll do. I'm going to present as a Jehovah's Witness and these two guys, genetically modified skeptic and the camera guy, will be studying with me. And Rose will be my wife. She She's my girlfriend. Well, she'll just present as my wife and she'll be a Jehovah's Witness. So she wore a dress. I wore a suit. The other two didn't wear a dress or, or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, they didn't wear a suit or anything like that. We, we went to the, the front gate, which is a, a locked gate with like arms that come down and it's like a guard thing it's a it's a guard gate basically so i go up to the guard gate and i said my name is tom deegan and i wanted to tour the facility with my two friends who i'm studying with and my wife and they said okay call this number and they'll see if they can book a tour so we pull out we call the number and the woman on the other end was like super happy. She's like, yeah, totally. We can do that. They gave me a confirmation number and the whole nine yards. So we get inside the gate, drive up to the facility and we get inside and 
we go to like the front they have like a ticket encounter i guess so we go up to or i walk up to the ticket encounter to get tickets to get inside and i discover that the other three people were not with me they were at the front still so i i get the tickets for all four of us and they were the other three were basically getting questioned and i walk over and then they were all i think they were on us from the moment we walked in the door honestly because they saw the camera or something i don't know but they told me i could leave my bag at the front they told me they wanted me to leave my bag in the coat room and i was like you know what i'm good i'll just keep it with me uh (laughs) so we start walking through the the regular public tour you know and we're talking to people just chit-chatting whatever and all of a sudden we turn the corner and like two elders just are like right on top of us and asking us questions and where are we from and what are our names and just all of this stuff. Two elders, the two witness rule. Uh, let me explain this too, because I get this question a lot. Why was it two instead of one or three elders that came to us? The reason is because of the two witness rule, where the Bible talks about how two witnesses have to be there to witness like contract signings or weddings or any of that other stuff it's really for civil stuff to protect people in case of disputes and jehovah's witnesses have reappropriated the two witness rule to apply to criminal disputes so if somebody is abusing somebody else or abusing a kid or something like that there have to be two victims before it can be reported to the police or believed in any way basically. And that's really the source of the entire issue. There were offenders who were abusing kids. They'd they'd move to a congregation. They would abuse a kid. Couldn't be reported because of the two-witness rule. There was only one victim. And then they'd switch congregations and do it again. They would just, they, there were people who had a very long history of doing that, 30-year history of doing that. And all of the names were written down and sent to the Watchtower Society, and nothing was ever done about it. It was never reported to the police or anything. So that's the source of the two-witness rule. They use the two-witness rule for everything. Two witnesses have to be there for everything, pretty much. And that's why two elders swarmed us because they wanted to be there to witness everything pretty much they wanted a second person there to witness it well anyway they ask us all these tough questions about who we are and everything and we just told them and they're like okay and we just kind of went on about our business and from that moment on there one of those two elders was within view of us all the time pretty much we would turn a corner and the other would be there standing at the next exhibit kind of thing and there was a point in time where we went in the elevator to go to the third floor because there's basically the second floor is where you enter the facility then there's a downstairs which i guess is the basement level kind of and they have a bunch of exhibits there and then the floor above the ground level is where more exhibits are. So once we went from the ground level to the above level, basically the third floor, we were passed off because we stopped seeing those two elders as much and started seeing another guy. And he was like, he was just all over us like, hey, you guys want me to get you this thing? You want me to get you that thing? Do you want a you know, a, a tape recorder? Do you want, because uh, they have like, it's a guided tour, but you wear these headphones kind of like an mp3 player you put the headphones on and you type in a number of the exhibit and it will give you the explanation of what you're looking at he's like do you want these little um these little cassette things so that you can listen to the guided tour i was like honestly we're just looking around he's like you know what i'll go get some for you i'll go get some so he goes and gets them for us gives them to us he was just all over us the entire time we were there and i was like can i 
they they had an outside portion. I was like, can we go outside and take a look around? And he was like, that guided portion doesn't start till one. So everyone's supposed to go get lunch and then come back. And then you can do the guided thing. I was like, okay. So we were like, all right, we'll just leave. It's just outside. Who cares, right? So we leave. And we're like, we'll just go to the next place. So we went to the Patterson branch. And then security, they had a little security van there. And they pull up and they start asking us questions, saying that they knew I was Owen Morgan and all this other stuff. It was so ridiculously stressful. And let me tell you this, this isn't something that I really talked about in the video because it hadn't really happened yet, but. (sighs) I, I swear that this is the source of nightmares for me for years to come. It was the most stressful thing I, I have experienced in a very long time. And not just going to the headquarters, but going around and talking to all the Jehovah's Witnesses on the street, like the streets of New York. That was some stressful shit. It was not fun. There was nothing fun about that, that whole experience. It was not enjoyable. I did not revel in any of that. It was just the worst. And I, I mean, we were in just an absolutely beautiful place absolutely beautiful condo that we were staying in like penthouse suite right in the middle of new york city it was amazing i've never seen anything like it but honestly i don't know that even that made it worth it to go through that whole thing even the 67th floor penthouse suite. I don't know that even that made it worth it to have to face all of those demons from my childhood. The only thing that tips the scales and makes it worth it is the fact that hopefully some Jehovah's Witness somewhere will see how I'm treated by by his people and recognize how wrong that is. It is literally the only upside to this whole thing. It was the worst. On the other hand, it was fun being in New York City, walking around and hanging out with genetically modified skeptic and everybody. That was a pretty cool experience, too. But I had a nightmare about going to the headquarters last night, and I have a feeling that that's going to be a recurring theme of my nightmares for a while still. So I really hope that the video was worth it. It's already been worth it. It's gotten a lot of views, a lot of coverage, a lot of people have seen it, and it's it's gotten pretty good traction. So it's already worth it, but it's not fun, man. It, it, it was not a fun experience. None of it was. There was some uh, Jehovah's Witness news I wanted to take a look at here. This is from The Independent. This just broke just the other day. And I think Mr. Atheist talked about this on his YouTube channel not long ago. Judge orders doctors to give Jehovah's Witness girl blood transfusion against her parents' wishes. A high court judge has ruled a five-year-old girl from a family of Jehovah's Witnesses can be given a blood transfusion against her parents' wishes. Mr. Justice Hayden made the decision after hospital bosses said the child could die or suffer a stroke if she's not treated urgently. The girl's parents said their religious beliefs would not allow them to consent to a transfusion, but did not object to the judge making the order. 
Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust, which has responsibility for the girls' care, made the application in the family division of the High Court in London on Wednesday. A specialist told Mr. Justice Hayden the child was suffering from sickle cell disease, an inherited blood disorder, and her condition had deteriorated. He said he feared a life-threatening event if the girl was not given a blood transfusion soon. The girl's father broke down as he told the judge that he wanted his daughter to live but could not agree to a transfusion. After analyzing evidence, at a public hearing, Mr. Justice Hayden said the law allowed judges to make such rulings. The girl who cannot be identified is being treated at Leeds Children's Hospital. Jehovah's Witnesses say the Old and New Testaments of the Bible clearly command us to abstain from blood. God views blood as representing life, the religion's website says. So we avoid taking blood not only in obedience to God, but also out of respect for him as the giver of life. Earlier, at a separate hearing in the family division, another judge approved an agreement between hospital bosses and a teenage Jehovah's Witness who refused to be treated with blood products or given a blood transfusion. Mr. Justice Moore had been... Uh, due to oversee a trial after hospital bosses asked him to decide what would be in the boy's best interests. But he was told doctors had taken the view that the boy should not be treated with blood products against his wishes and were trying to trying a different approach. The court heard the teenager was born abroad and lived in England with a relative for some time. His father is dead and his mother's whereabouts are unknown. Mr. Justice Moore, who approved the agreement at a private hearing, said neither the boy nor the NHS hospital trust involved could be identified in media reports. That case echoes the plot of Ian McEwan's 2014 novel, The Children Act, which was made into a film starring Emma Thompson. In the novel, a judge decides a 17-year-old Jehovah's Witness should have a blood transfusion against his wishes to save his life. Okay, like I said, Mr. Atheist actually covered this on his channel the other day. And the problem that I have with this whole thing is the fact that sometimes it's too late by the time you get, sometimes these situations are urgent, the, these blood transfusion things. Sometimes they're urgent. Sometimes it has to be done now, immediately, or they're going to die or suffer brain injuries or something. We don't have time to go talk to a judge about this, sometimes. That's my biggest qualm with this. I feel like, see, there's, the, there's this thing called the Hospital Liaison Committee, and it's this group of Jehovah's Witnesses who go around to hospitals talking to doctors about what treatments are and are not allowed for the the Jehovah's Witness patients. And they'll usually appear when a Jehovah's Witness enters the hospital. The liaison committee will. They'll appear and talk to the person's doctor. And if they don't, if the person doesn't go with the treatment that the liaison committee approves of, then they'll be disfellowshipped. If they don't allow access to certain things, they'll be disfellowshipped. I mean, shunned from friends and family for the rest of their lives until the day they die. Never talk to your mother again. Never talk to your father or your brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles again until the day you die. If you don't abide by the wishes of this group of elders that appear in your hospital room and die, if it, it don't get the procedure that would save your life. I really wish that they had judges there on staff at hospitals sometimes that would be able to push orders through immediately for this kind of thing, first of all. And second, I wish that they would disallow elders in like this and disallow the information from being given to the liaison committee about certain people's cases so that they couldn't have a stranglehold, so that Jehovah's Witnesses would be freer, at least a little freer, to make their own decisions, even though, as we can see, they'd probably land on the wrong side of the decision anyways.
So it, it's kind of an ugly situation. It's it's very disturbing. And we have honestly no way of counting how many people have lost their lives to this. Thousands, tens of thousands, maybe. Who knows? There's no way of knowing. They don't keep track of it, but it's a high number. It's at least thousands, we know, because Jehovah's Witnesses used to brag about it in a a lot of their old watchtowers. They would have lists of people who died because they didn't take blood transfusions. Coming from Gabe, uh, what is the reasoning behind the blood transfusion ban for JWs? Mm, I meant to mention this actually earlier, and I wasn't even thinking about it. There's this bit in the Bible that says, it's in Leviticus, the Old Testament. It says, don't eat blood. And I'm thinking, it says eat. What does it actually mean? I went to like the interlinear translation or whatever it's called, where you can look at the actual word that was used and look at the different forms that it takes. Like, what does this word mean that they put in here? The word eat. What does it mean? Is it Does it actually mean eat? Does it mean put into your body? Does it mean consume? What does it mean? The word actually means eat through your mouth and into your stomach. That is what it means. It's extremely specific in that verse. I forget how it's pronounced, the word now, but I did a video about it a while back. Anyways, it does not say anything about consuming it in any other way. It doesn't even imply any other forms of consumption. It's just specifically talking about eating animals that have been improperly bled. So it's built on sand, their whole bit, but that's what it's built on is that verse in Leviticus. It's Old Testament, like the old laws. You know, don't put two seeds in the same hole. Don't wear cotton and linen blends. Don't lie with another man, things like, just all those old laws that were done away with after Jesus died. Uh, So take that for what you will. And if you think that those laws weren't done away with when Jesus died, then you should be following them, all 613 of them. You should be eating kosher diets and all of the other stuff, so... Anyway, there you go. That's Jehovah's Witnesses' explanation for their blood ban. And and it it isn't just limited to, like, blood transfusions. It goes down to medicines that are produced using blood fractions and things like that. So there are, like, certain types of medicines Jehovah's Witnesses can't take. They're lightening up a little bit on that one, but still, you know, people are dying every day, so take that for what you will. Coming from Rubyist... Have you ever had any bad dreams while you were still a witness about the religion? Oh, yeah. Well, that it depends on what you mean. I had these demonic nightmares, like, a lot. It was probably once every few weeks to every couple of months I would have these nightmares where demons were attacking me. They were coming after me and trying to kill me, and it was horrific. It was really terrible stuff because Jehovah's Witnesses are, like, really afraid of demons. So I had these nightmares about demons all the way up until I was 26, I think. And 26 years old was the very last one that I had. I started having the demonic dreams again where demons were attacking me and everything. And then I started to realize, now remember, this is like four years into me having become an atheist, and I'm still having these nightmares. 26, I I have another, and I got to thinking like, wait a minute, this isn't real. This is not how the world works. Demons are not real. And I know they're not real. The next thing I know, I start seeing like microphones and video cameras like falling out from behind picture frames and mirrors and stuff. And the demons I came to realize in the dream were not demons. They were aliens that were 
trying to record me and follow me around and stuff. Long story short, in the dream, I get abducted by aliens, I was drugged, I escaped, and I made it back, and then I woke up, and I never had another dream about demons again. I, I think that I was an atheist, like, for a long time. I got over my fear of demons for, for many, many years, like four years. But 26 is when I really like connected the dots and was like, that's when it really hit home. Like demons just straight up are not real. This is just a scare tactic created by religion and it worked on me. So anyway, that's, that's my breakdown of it. Um, do you have another question for me? Simply Grim Last asks, my comparative religions course is going to a JW Kingdom Hall in the morning. So we'll be able to ask elders some questions while they're low key trying to convert us. Any pointed questions I should ask that they can't answer? Oh, Oh, man. I wish that I'd known that question before because I, I would have put some really deep thought into it. I actually do. I do have some stuff for you here. I have some videos for this. All right. Well, I, I know I've made multiple videos on this. I can only find the one at this immediate moment, but I will post the one video to you. I'll drop it in the special events channel. Go give that video a watch. There are a bunch of different questions. I ha Like I said, I have two videos on it, so see if you can find the other one on it. Maybe I'll insert something about it in here later, but anyway. Do you have another question for me? For sure. Church had asked, had asked uh, do JWs believe there are three heavens like Christians? No, they don't. It's not like really super, well, I say it's not super complicated for Jehovah's Witnesses, but really it is. It's like outrageously complicated when you think about it. No, they don't believe in hell. Um, they believe in a single heaven and God lives there and 144,000 will basically be raptured to heaven instantly. And then they'll be given swords and shields and sent down to earth to kill every man, woman, and child alive who wasn't living up to Jehovah's standards throughout their life. That's pretty much the, the, the basis of their whole religious belief. It's kind of weird when you think about it. It's really weird. New Schwartz had asked, what if a religion is practiced like a cult in some areas of the world and is practiced more as a religion in other parts? Is it still classified as a cult? This is why I usually like to drill down and get into certain specific churches. This was a common criticism for my Catholicism video that it's a lot more laid back and relaxed in other countries than in America. But I don't really buy it. And let me tell you why. With this specific religion, with Catholicism specifically, because the things that I criticized about Catholicism apply across the board. It's in every country. Is it, th these aren't unique to America. You have to go to confession every month or every week or every day for some people. And if you do something wrong, which basically everyone has something to confess, you have to, they'll assign you penance. You have to rub the rosary beads and pray or whatever other thing. That is a mind-altering, thought-stopping, mind-control technique. That's Pavlovian conditioning happening. That's universal across all Catholicism. If it doesn't do certain things like, like that, for example, then it's a branch off of Catholicism. It's not Roman Catholics, for example. It's not full Catholicism, and we can talk about if that's a cult or not. But Catholicism, as a monolith, does those things. They pray the rosary, they confess, they have Catholic guilt. All these things are universal through the religion. If there's a single church that claims to be Catholic that doesn't practice this thing or that thing, then fine. Maybe that specific church is not a cult. But I'm very confident in calling Catholicism a cult. I say that with full confidence. From Omega Riley, we had, Have you heard about the YouTubers' union being headed by Jorg Spave? 
And if so, what do you think about their chances of actually being able to make a change? YouTubers Union, headed by Jorg Spave. I don't think I know of that. I've done more research into the YouTubers Union since this podcast, so I just wanted to add a little note at the end so that you guys are aware of my feelings on it. I think it could be extremely productive and extremely useful. Jorg Spave has 2.2 million subscribers, and they have a lot of power in this situation. I am all for this YouTubers Union. If you don't know of it, you should go look it up. It seems pretty interesting. Do I think that they're going to succeed in changing things? I don't know. I'm pretty confident in it, honestly. They could really cause some shitstorms. Now, I wasn't aware of the YouTubers Union when I did this podcast, so I decided to give some advice about networks in general. But bear in mind, this advice about networks does not apply to the YouTubers Union. They're two different things. This advice is sound about networks specifically, though. If you you're a smaller YouTuber and you have offers on the table from networks. Networks are notoriously a really, really bad idea on YouTube. You really should not join networks. If you're a smaller YouTuber and you get approached by one, almost certainly a bad idea. They're almost certainly going to be taking advantage of you and you probably shouldn't do it. As you become a bigger YouTuber, it's a little bit less of an issue, but still, it can get really, really crooked. And I would suggest you just steer clear of networks. Typically, they write up contracts. And in the contracts, they agree to give you this, this, and that thing. And you agree to give them 15% of your revenue. And that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Do not do that. It's not worth it. They could not offer you anything that would be worth 15% of your revenue over the next year. Oh my God. You know why they do that? 15, 15% seems like a really, really tiny amount for some YouTubers right now. Say you're a YouTuber that's got 30,000 subscribers and you're making 500 bucks a month from YouTube. 15% of that would be 75 bucks a month, right? That's, that's, that's not that bad, right? 75 bucks a month and they give you, they'll set you up with advertisers and things like that. But you sign a year long contract and in a year, you're gonna be significantly bigger than 30,000 subscribers. In a year, you're going to be at, who knows, 100,000 subscribers? 150, 200,000? Mr. Atheist went from zero to 210 in a year. It's not worth it at all. That, that's how they get you. So you start making real money. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what people make at, say, 500,000 subscribers. So let's say they make like 20,000 a month. Probably not that much, but say they do. 15% of 20000 a month is $3,000 a month that this network's getting for what? For setting you up with advertisers who would want to court you anyways? Don't do it. Don't join networks. Oh, and one more thing here. I did notice that I got a super chat from, you guessed it, Omega Riley. My free $2 super chat thing from YouTube Red disappeared, and I'm a little salty. I was saving it for this. Oh, well, everyone liked the podcast for me, okay? And he donated five dollars thank you omega riley you are the literal tits omega riley is my biggest fan by the way i don't know if you guys heard that or not he's the biggest fan so i was looking at this thing about nintendo a couple of weeks ago where there was this joy con drift issue i guess nintendo was getting sued in a class action lawsuit apparently like a lot of the joy cons have this drifting problem basically people were suing nintendo for their faulty equipment as they well should 
So I just wanted to read this update. Nintendo responds to sufferers of Joy-Con drift. Although it's been an issue for some players since shortly after launch, recently more and more Switch owners have been talking about their issues with Joy-Con drift, a condition where the joystick on a controller detects movement even though you're not touching it. In response to players' Joy-Con woes, Nintendo advises Switch owners experiencing Joy-Con drift to visit its customer support website. At Nintendo, we take great pride in creating quality products and we're continuously making improvements to them. A representative from Nintendo told Kotaku in response to questions about Joy-Con drift, We're aware of recent reports that some Joy-Con controllers are not responding correctly. We want our consumers to have fun with the Nintendo Switch, and if anything falls short of this goal, we always encourage them to visit support.nintendo.com so we can help. Yeah, I bet. They they were paying zero attention to this until there was a class action lawsuit filed. I went to the support website because I've had the problem with two different sets of Joy-Cons, and... They basically said they will replace it for you for free if you send it in to them, which means my Switch isn't going to have Joy-Cons for, like, who knows how long, weeks, probably. Seven to ten business days to mail it, seven to ten business days to get it back, and then probably five business days to in between to prove there's an issue or some other BS, so... I don't know. It, it, it's just ridiculous. I'm super unhappy with Nintendo's customer service in this situation. It says, at some point in the past few days, Nintendo updated the front page of its customer support website, placing a prominent direct link to a page that lets you start a ticket to get your Joy-Con repaired. The previous version of the page, as archived on July 19th, only included a link to the troubleshooting page, which more or less asks if your system is updated and then tells you to use the system's Joy-Con software recalibration feature. While sending in your Joy-Con for repairs may fix the issue of drift temporarily, some players have said that After getting their Joy-Con back from Nintendo, they experienced drift again within a matter of months. One person on Twitter said that their repaired Joy-Con began drifting right after taking it out of the box. Oh, Nintendo. They know how to program games like nobody else. They know how to make a franchise like nobody else, but they're kind of dropping the ball here. Anyway, uh, that is the end of the podcast. I appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me, and I will talk to you next week.